The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. We began our overview into the book of Isaiah about seven weeks ago. And uh, my son and I were having a conversation last night just about week in and week out liturgies and messages that come upon us. And I don't know if we all fully appreciate and understand how many messages are coming upon us day in and day out. But what has happened with all of these messages that we receive Monday through Saturday, they have caused, all these messages have caused our senses to be dulled to the true reality of who God is. And so that's why we began this series in the book of Isaiah to see what our hearts have been dulled to see. To see true realities in vivid color through the book of Isaiah. True realities in vivid color. And we began seven weeks ago hearing the theme of Isaiah in the opening lines of his book. Which said, the vision of Isaiah. The true reality of Isaiah. A prophet whose name means The Lord saves. And then we ask the question, well, who does the Lord save? And the second verse of the book told us, in the second week we talked about it, children, the Lord has saved children who have rebelled against me. And we took the next week to look closer at the reality of us as children and our sin. Why these children need saving. Because we've broken our Father's heart by believing I know better than he does. But this father doesn't abandon his children. The next week, we took a look at the true reality of a children's future. As God promises his children a future that is full of light and no more darkness. And he invites them, walk in that light. But there's still a problem. God's children choose And chose again and again to walk in darkness instead of light. So how does the Lord move us to walk into his light? Then we looked at Isaiah 6 as the prophet was given the true reality of God's light. God's holiness, God's otherness in heaven. And a rebellious child, Isaiah, is terrified by the light that is shining by God's glory. By the judgment that should fall upon him for walking in darkness instead of walking in the light of the Lord. And he says, woe is me, knowing he's deserving of death. But the angel shoots down and puts on his lips a coal from the altar of sacrifice. And Isaiah tastes the grace of God hearing these words, your sins are forgiven and your guilt is taken away. And so then Isaiah volunteers for the reality, the true reality of a calling to tell people about God's forgiving of sins. But God tells him, yes, take up this call, but it's going to be a people whose ears are closed and whose hearts are hardened in their pride. And he tells Isaiah, go and bring this message of forgiveness Until that point that I cut this nation down to size so that they see their pride and they're knocked down in it. 
so that when that tree is knocked down, you see in this stump that is left a little seed of hope. And last week we heard a little more about the clue of that seed of hope. How the Lord plans to rescue a rebellious people. The sign given was the craziest thing you could hear. A virgin conceives a son. And they call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The true reality that God plans to bring his presence smack dab among his children. There is a ton of ground that needs to be cleared and there's a ton of soil that needs to be tilled up before that seed in the stump, before that sign, before that son of man comes into the light of day. And that clearing, that preparing of a way, friends, Isaiah tells us in chapter 13, comes through judgment. The true reality of God's judgment. Read with me Isaiah chapter 13, verses 1 to 16. Friends, this is the word of God given to us this morning. The oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. On a bare hill... Raise a signal. Cry aloud to them. Wave the hand for them to enter the gates of the nobles. I myself have commanded my consecrated ones and I have summoned my mighty men to execute my anger, my proudly exalting ones. The sound of a tumult is on the mountains as of a great multitude. The sound of an uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathering together. The Lord of hosts is mustering a host for battle. They come from a distant land, from the ends of the heavens. The Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Wail. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near, as destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore all hands will be feeble, every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed, pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another, their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and I will lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. And like a hunted gazelle or like sheep 
with no shepherd to gather them. Each will turn to his own people and each will flee to his own land. Whoever is found will be thrust through and whoever is caught will fall by the sword. Their infants will be dashed in pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. God, we thank you for your word, the story of your grace. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Every time it happens, every time I'm called in various situations to recite these words and be asked to put my hand over my heart, friends, I have an internal war that goes on within me. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm grateful for the country in which I live. I'm grateful for the freedoms that we've been given living in the United States of America. I'm grateful for the costliness of those freedoms that came from men and women who sacrificed their lives so we could have this freedom. I'm legally a United States citizen, and with that citizenship, I know I have certain responsibilities and certain obligations. I know that. But the war that goes on within me is that word, I pledge allegiance. A word which has synonyms of full obedience, utter devotion, complete trust. Because it raises a question in me in saying, I pledge allegiance. Am I trading my trust? Am I putting more of my trust in a nation which, friends, is temporary? The United States is not going to be here forever. Or am I putting my trust in a God who is eternal? Am I putting my pride in a place? Or am I securing my pride in a God of grace? Today's passage in Isaiah 13 is awful. It is horribly graphic as children are dashed to pieces, as young men are massacred, as women are raped and violated. It is terrifying, it is awful, it is graphic. As people are seen screaming, running for their lives. And it's a passage that's confusing. Because we hear the person responsible for these disturbing images. The Lord himself. I will do this. Isaiah 13 is a front row seat into the judgment of the Lord also known as the Day of the Lord. And it's the first of many oracles starting in chapter 13 and working its way through chapter 30. Oracles of judgment in Isaiah. Verdicts from God against all the nations surrounding God's people in Isaiah's day. And so we have to ask the question, why does the Lord want his children, want us even this morning, to see this, to behold this? Because guess what the Lord's children, and guess what all of humanity as a whole are so often prone to do? Pledge allegiance to people and places and nations 
over the one who made all peoples and places and nations. We trade trust. This judgment in chapter 13 against Babylon, along with the oracles of judgment which follow here, is to compel every one of God's children to this. Pledge allegiance to the Lord alone who can save you from his judgment. Pledge allegiance to the Lord alone who can save you from his day of judgment. What do we need to see and believe about God's judgment which would prompt us from this passage to pledge allegiance to him? We need to see three things here, friends, this morning. We need to see first that his day of judgment has a warning battle cry. There's a warning here that he gives. Second, we need to see that his day of judgment pummels human pride. And third, we need to see that his day of judgment is exactly eye for an eye. So the first point. The Lord's day of judgment comes with a warning battle cry. Look with me at verses 1 to 6. So what we see in this is God's judgment is never without a warning. This visionary poem that Isaiah wrote was written a hundred years before the Babylonians would conquer Judah. It was written over 150 years prior to God's people returning back from exile in Babylon. And he gives warning that the Lord, he's coming to take names. Verse 1, the Lord chooses a bare hill to raise like a pole up on that bare hill. He clears the hill and he raises a pole as a warning. And then he says, gather together all of my heavenly troops to this pole. Cry aloud, he says, command the armies. It's like, get loud, Lambo. He calls his mighty men to carry out his orders of judgment. And he's not just peeved. He's not just irritated. The Lord is furious. Unlike Get Loud Lambo, this is the sound of fury. I don't know if you've ever had this experience when a storm comes through Green Bay in the middle of the night. Have you ever had this happen? When your house just shakes with the thunder. That's what he's trying to get across. This is the sound of God's thunder coming. And we'll get clues a little later in the passage as to why the Lord is so angry, so furious. But for now, we need to hear the sound of his anger as a warning against this nation, Babylon. It's not just the sound of one person's scream or brave heart battle cry. That's scary enough. It's the sound of a thousand screams. And who is the sound coming from? In verse 3, it looks like a heavenly army of angels when he says, my mighty ones. And in verse 4, it also looks like an earthly army as a great multitude, an uproar of kingdoms and nations start gathering together. Well, friends, it's both. God is going to use, through his heavenly armies, an earthly set of armies to go after Babylon. And what's their goal? What does it say their goal is? Destruction. Verse 5. To destroy the whole land. And then in verse 6, he calls this army that he's gathered together to wail, which is better translated as, oh, 
it's a howl. Like attacking wolves coming upon their prey. You ever been in the middle of the woods in the night and you heard coyotes or wolves howl when you're camping in a little tent? It's pretty intimidating, right? That's what he's saying. Howl like wolves coming upon the prey because the day of the Lord, verse 6 says, is near. This raises a problem for many of us when we think of God's judgment, his anger, his holy anger. Because we love to separate anger from God because when anger's away from God's character, it just makes him a lot more approachable. It's just more easy to relate to a God who's not angry, right? But part of our problem as Westerners with this anger is we've probably not been the recipient of extreme injustice. You take the conflict going on in the Middle East right now. On either side, either side. You don't have to choose sides right now. What if your baby was used for target practice? What if that happened to your child? What's your response going to be? What if your wife was violated by a soldier in front of your very eyes? What is your reaction going to be? Would you have any response to that? Yes, of course you would. You would have intense outrage. This is not okay. We need to recognize that God's anger and his increasing volume of this battle cry is so appropriate for this situation. If God's fur didn't raise or his nostrils didn't flare at all of the injustices done to innocent people, to his people, then we would be fools to follow that kind of God. Without his anger... What we're left with is what Richard Niebuhr describes as a God without wrath who brings men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the work of a Christ without a cross. That's what we have. We have to allow these verses to slow us down, friends, that we don't actually take matters into our own hands when we see injustices. Because that's the first problem with Babylon and Babylon's pride, friends. It's the problem of presumption. I'll define what presumption is. Babylon has this problem of pride, and it starts with presumption. And this presumption is a belief that not only do they know better, but that they are better. This was Babylon's problem. This is a big problem in the United States of America. We know better, and we are better. It's what might have been written on Babylon's currency. In we, we trust. Babylon, shorten it, Babel. Do you remember the story of Babel in Genesis 11? Where people gathered to make a name for themselves, not for God, and chose to build this highest tower that mankind has ever seen, there is the pride of presumption. We are better and we know better. That's Babylon. And later in Isaiah 48, or excuse me, Isaiah 47, the Lord quotes what's being actually said in the hearts of the people and especially the queen of Babylon. That's this mantra. I am and there is no other. That's Babylon's mantra. I am and there is 
no one besides me. The pride of presumption. Friends and saints, hear the warning cry given to Babylon, given to you. How are you presuming right now, in whatever situation in your life right now, that you know better and you are better? How are you presuming pridefully right now that you know better and you are better? I am and there is no one besides me. We are swimming in the waters of a nation and a culture whispering this mantra in your ear. Just watch a Burger King commercial. BK, have it your way. You rule. That's what it says. A little Burger King commercial whispers, I am and there is no other. You rule. How are you swallowing that water? Repent of believing you know better and you are better than God. But maybe, maybe you're the victim of an extreme injustice. And you have a hard time believing justice will ever come over the harm that came to you or someone you love. And you want to take matters into your own justice hands. Friends, Hear the growl of the lion of Judah. See the flaring of his nostrils. It is coming. God's justice is coming over any injustice that has been caused you. It is a grace, friends, that God's justice, the day of the Lord, hasn't been fully unleashed yet, but it's coming. We see glimpses of it in the world today. You see that in the Middle East today. The day of the Lord is here and it's coming. Every time history is shocked with tragedy, guess what? That's a foreshadowing to the day of the Lord. 9-11, foreshadowing to the day of the Lord. Nagasaki, when they were hit with an atomic bomb, foreshadowing of the day of the Lord. Shootings in Maine, foreshadowing. Shelling in the Middle East, foreshadowing of what's coming. One author writes that history whispers ultimacy. History is whispering to you what's coming. What has happened in a small dose is what's to come in a very, very large dose. So instead of taking matters into our own hands, we must pledge allegiance to the one whose roar and whose battle cry is only getting louder. There's a warning battle cry, friends. As second, the day of judgment will come to pummel human pride. Look with me at verses 7 to 11. We talk about the first part of pride, which is presumption. You know better, you are better. But that presumption leads to a second stage of pride, which is rebellion, which is rising up above or against God. Rebellion. And Babylon was known for taking any rules of engagement with war and throwing them out the window. When they conquered a nation, they made the rules. They ruled the roost, if you will. They did everything they could to communicate to any smaller nation that I'm on top. I am above you. They consider themselves untouchable and unbreakable. So like the worst bully on the playground... 
what would happen for these smaller nations is it would be natural for them, like Israel, like Judah, to find some sort of refuge in befriending the big bully or maybe just buying his lunch. Because you're so big and you're, so, you're going to hurt me. And so that's what Isaiah is warning them. Don't buy a Babylon's lunch. I remember when I was in junior high, I was a gangly, skinny, tinted glasses, braces geek. And I had this guy in my gym class, a big guy, who for some reason, I don't even know who he was. We had no relationship whatsoever, but for some reason, he despised me. And for no reason in gym class, he would just throw both of his hands on my back while we're playing basketball or floor hockey, and he would just throw me to the ground, and I would just smash my face on the ground. He made the rules. Even the gym teacher was afraid of this guy. This was Babylon in the Old Testament. And Babylon became the Bible's code name. Anytime you see Babylon, even in the New Testament, it's the Bible's code name. For any nation who thinks it's higher than God, Babylon. The pride of rebellion in believing that the highest object, the highest source of power, the highest anything was me. So find comfort, friends, at what happens to Babylon when the Lord's coming army is coming upon the scene. Hmm. It makes this junior higher smile. As the Lord comes in. Gym teacher couldn't do anything about it, but the Lord's going to do something about it. What happens to the bully's hands? They go limp. What happens to his heart? Comes a little puddle on the ground. They will be dismayed, verse 8 says, which means they start trembling as they're confronted with such a serious threat. They get pangs in their gut, so they're like doubled over. It's a pain so intense for them. It's like a woman's contractions in labor. Ladies, I don't know what that's like, but it sounds awful. And they are aghast, which means they have no idea what's happening to them. And their faces start to glow and get hot as the white hot anger of the Lord comes upon the scene. No longer will the proud strut around, verse 11 says, the pompous, the swelled heads of the arrogant will be popped by the presence of the great I am and there is no other. Human pride will be laid low and the ruthless Babylonians who showed zero mercy to God's people will be pancaked, will be pummeled. I think, friends, I think school shootings would see a dramatic decrease the more these victims of bullying believed in the just judgment of God. But before we get too cozy watching our worst enemy humiliated, look at the beginning of verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil. And the wicked for their iniquity. This vision of God's just judgment is a grace to us to see where we would be without the mercy of God. Pledging allegiance to the one who saves you from his judgment means allowing the Spirit of God to flatten our pride. Where is the Lord taking the judgment gavel out of your hands? 
Where is he not letting your rules of warfare be the way things are going to play out here? Where is he melting your heart as you see the true reality of his, his holiness in light of your sinfulness? Because without the protection of Christ, he is furious with every single ounce of pride that lives within you. The pride of making your own rules to ruin someone's reputation with that not-so-innocent comment. The pride of making your own rules to show unforgiveness to a person you don't think worthy of your grace. The pride of making your own rules to take what's not yours, to hold on tightly to what was never yours in the first place, and to strut around taking credit for what's in your hands. Allow the vision of this day of the Lord to pummel your pride so that you pledge allegiance to the one who saves you by trusting that the cocky, conceited narcissist will have their day in God's court. So that when you picture the awfulness of God's judgment day, you will be compelled to pray that the Lord might show your enemy mercy. Why? Last point. Why show him mercy? Because the day of the Lord's judgment is exactly eye for an eye. Look at 12 to 16. What you see here is exact judgment. Pride says, I know better, I am better. Pride says, I make the rules. And pride, thirdly, is active in breaking the rules. Babylonians were known for the most brutal and intimidating and merciless war practices known to God's people, Judah. What the Babylonians get in this passage is exactly what the Babylonians gave. When they would come upon a nation, they would exterminate them. What do they receive in verse 12? Extermination. The population of Babylonians becomes more rare than gold. As the Babylonians came upon a people, they would make a loud racket to intimidate them. Verse 13 tells us, God brings lightning and earthquake and the sun's dimming to let them know he's coming. As they treated people like animals, verse 14 tells us they get what they gave. They will become like what? A scared little deer. A shepherdless sheep just buying for home and running everywhere to find it. It reminds me of just a tiny bit of the movie A Christmas Story where these two characters, Grover Gill and Scut Farkas, they're two bullies who for years have been tormenting Ralphie and his friends for years and years. And at the end of the film, as Ralphie gets hit in the face with Scut's snowball, he snaps and he goes berserk onto Scut. Just starts punching him left and right. And as soon as he snaps, Grover Gill, the one macho, tough toady of Scuts, is seen running away crying, I'm going to tell my mom on you. 
that's what the Babylonians are doing. They're running like that. But as they run, the tactics that they used in surrounding cities and gates with their snipers and with their swords, it gets stabbed right back at them. And they get beheaded as they're running for home. And this is what makes verse 16 at least tolerable as we see babies dashed to pieces and houses plundered and wives, women raped. What is being done to the Babylonians is what has been done to the people of God, to their babies, to their houses, to their wives, eye for eye. Psalm 137 describes this exact justice on Babylon. Listen to these words from the Psalms. Blessed is he who gathers your children and dashes them on the rocks. The true reality of God's judgment, the day of the Lord, which came to Babylon specifically and is coming upon every Babylon, every prideful nation who set themselves up higher than God. Friends, those days are going to be severe and specific. Every act of rebellion, according to the justice and love of God, requires an equal reaction of judgment. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, baby for baby. And this is the Pledge of Allegiance this passage calls us to say and believe. I pledge allegiance not to my country, but to my Christ. To the one who came as the Son of Man, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom as an exact eye-for-eye payment for the countless offenses of pride we know of and the countless offenses of pride we still can't see. On a bare hill, the Lord raised up a pole. And from that pole cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Lord commanded his consecrated ones, the chief priests and the elders and the Roman government to put Jesus to death, wailing and howling, crucify him. Let his blood be on us and our children. So that when God's children see the justice of God carried out on the cross on their behalf, our hands holding stones of judgment to throw at others will just go limp. Our hearts will just melt with grief and with gratitude. Our pride will be destroyed and we'll consider ourselves crucified with Christ so that we are destroyed and that Christ can now live within us. Our pride of presumption, which says we know better and we are better, is silenced in the fact that he knows best in his mercy on the cross. Our pride of rebellion, which makes our own rules, they're paid for by the innocent man hanging between two criminals. Our pride of willful sin is met and matched by the one who said, not my will, but yours, Father, be done. Friends, I leave you with this choice. The true reality of just judgment can be met in one of two days of the Lord. 
Good Friday or the last day? Hear the roar of God's anger sounding on both days. See the leveling of pride on display on both days. But believe in Jesus, the one judged on Good Friday, so that you might find safety and refuge from Jesus, the judge, on the last day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, when we see what it is that our prideful hearts and our prideful nation deserves, Lord, may it lead us to shout out mercy and help. When we see the exacting of your judgment, eye for eye, Lord, and the horror that that involves, Lord, may it lead us to shout, have mercy. When we see the presumption in our hearts of believing that we know better and we are better, would you level that pride down to the floor so that Christ can now live within us? Lord, we pray that you would do that work of leveling us with your judgment so that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray.